lifepodcasts.fm. This podcast is a Prime Media Broadcasting production. Journeys with Joanne Joseph. Explore stories, stories from the past and present. Journeys with Joanne Joseph. So in The Suspect, the, the reasons for the disappearance of the young women, Alexandra O'Connor and Rosie Shaw, are known fairly early on, yet the facts around those disappearances shape the rest of the novel. Why choose to structure it in that particular order, Fiona? Uh, well, because I needed the reporter to be interested, so <laughs> I needed to get the story going, if you like. Yes. Um, and I'm much more interested in the why rather than the what. Um, you know, that I'm as a as a reporter, I've always sort of looked for you know what makes people act the way they do, what makes people do the things um, that they're accused of. So, I suppose you know, getting some of the facts, some of the what's out of the way straight away gives me more leeway really to concentrate on the characters um, and what drives them. So, so let's get into that uh, for just a moment. Uh, I mean, your, your protagonist, Kate Waters, is a senior journalist at a London newspaper. She's suffered certain personal difficulties in previous novels, but you've just thrust her into the eye of this one by linking her in a very personal way to the crime itself. Why the brave choice to do that? Well, it, I had this idea, um, gosh, for a while, of turning the tables on Kate Waters, the journalist, I wanted to make her the story, not the reporter, because I wanted to see what it felt like, um, what it would feel like to be in that position, um, having been a reporter myself for 30 years. Yes. So I looked at perhaps, you know, getting her involved in some of the um, illegal activities of um, some journalists in the UK. Um, I'm sure it's been reported in South Africa, yes, the, um, you know, the phone hacking and uh, all that. But I wanted to make it much more personal um, because I, I needed it to matter absolutely to her. So um, I involved her family, um, which is always the quick way to somebody's heart, really, mm. the heart and soul of somebody. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a brave, I suppose it was a brave choice in that you, you then, if you want to carry on with the character afterwards, you, you know, you, you have exposed their soft underbelly, if you like. But um, I hope that I have left the ending fluid enough um, because I do uh, intend to come back to Kate. I'm, I'm taking a break from her for book four. Um, she's having a lie down. She's been through a lot. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm going to come back to her in, uh, in book five. That, that, that's so interesting. That's my plan. <laughs> you preempted really what I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, she's become something of an unreliable narrator. Uh, I was wondering, you know, have you compromised this protagonist who's been your bastion throughout the previous novels? Ooh, it's a good question. Um, I've left that in the hands of the reader, really, because for me, she hasn't become a reliable narrator, an unreliable narrator. Um, <laughs> it's you know I've I've looked at her her role as mother and her role as reporter yes. trying to run parallel. Mm. Um, she when things are difficult when she's a mother she turns to her reporter skills because she knows them and she feels safe because nobody else is responsible but her. Um, so 
I, I've been interested in the feedback from readers. Um, you're the first person that said that. So, and I was expecting more of that, to be honest, but, uh, <laughs> but people haven't said that um, generally. So let's see. Um, I think, you know, I'm thinking carefully about how um, I use her in the next, in, in, a, in, a, in another book. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm still, you know, it's very much the thinking stage at the moment. Yes, yes. I mean, this is a novel that at its heart centers the grief and pain of parents whose kids, kids have escaped the nest and are placed in the unpredictable hands of fate, which makes it not just a, a great crime thriller, but a very human study of grief as well, which you've also done very well in your other novels. Why are those human elephants, elements rather so important to you as a writer? Um, because I think for 30 years I've been preparing for writing fiction. Um, for 30 years I've been interviewing you know, people from every walk of life. Um, as a news reporter, general reporter, you know, and I have been one-to-one with people who have experienced grief um, in its rawest form. So I have that experience. I, I talk to people absolutely you know in in an intense uh, situation where they've opened up where they've spoken to me very very truthfully very um candidly yes. and i've used that because you know people are extraordinary you know can be extraordinary when um terrible things happen and it's it's it touched me then and it's stayed with me i mean to be honest you know i've never never forgotten you know the encounters with people who'd been through you know the the worst kind of grief um so i've used that really and i I haven't used any one person i've used you know bits um sort of the best the worst you know a quote here an expression there um to build my own characters but i have definitely drawn on how i felt at the time you know talking to people about that sort of grief. Uh, were you aware at the time while you were working as a journalist that, that at some point all of those interactions were in some way or another going to morph into the kind of writing you have produced in recent years? Not at all. I, uh, not at all. I was just, you know, I was so busy as a journalist. It, I'm sure you know. I mean, it's, you know, a, a full-on job. Um, and I had um, a family um, I was commuting. I didn't have five minutes spare to think about anything else. So it was only when I stopped being a reporter that uh, I even considered writing a novel. You know, it's interesting that, uh, I mean, the police and, and lawyers, they're, they're all manner of people who engage the same individuals whose lives have been touched by crime in some way or another. But they all do it in some way that, that's different to, to the perspective of the journalist. Uh, what did the journalist in you get out of these stories that perhaps the others don't? Gosh, um well, I suppose, you know, I observe um, it's part of the job is, you know, watching people and, and trying to understand how they feel and what they're not saying. Um, so I guess, you know, I've always observed um, every bit of a story, uh, everybody involved, including those who are not talking. Um, you know, when you sit in court, you there are lots of pauses it's a very boring procedure people only see the highlights on television in dramas but hours can pass and it's always interested me to sort of watch the relatives 
the people in the public gallery, the people on the periphery, if you like, um, and how they react and, and wonder, you know, what they know, um, what they think they know. So, yes, I've always done that and sort of I've spent my, um, you know, dull moments in court um, just <laughs> having a think about what it would be like if it was me sitting you know, in the behind the lawyers, watching my loved one giving evidence about some terrible crime. Yes, yes. Let, let's let's for a moment focus on this process of thinking. I, I read an interesting article about Gabriel Bar- Garcia Marquez recently, which spoke about the internal processes of conceiving of his characters and plot before he actually sits down to put them on paper. And that's what he calls the boring part. Um, how integral is that conceptualization element to your writing process? Well, it should be more. <laughs> it should be more <laughs> integral, according to my editors. No, I mean, the first one, with your first novel, you've no idea that you're really thinking of a novel um, for ages. You know, you're sort of, they're just random thoughts that um, kind of stick together. They start cooking. And then you start writing it very tentatively, often. Um, and you think, oh, I've written a novel. in. Well, I wrote The, the Widow in about nine months. But what I hadn't factored in was the years of thinking beforehand. Um, So thinking is writing. Um, You know, people think writing is just sitting at a keyboard. It isn't. It's staring at the wall. It's going for a long walk and playing out conversations in your head. Um, I've just been doing that, actually. I did a Pilates class. During it, I found um, a, a really good... Uh, conversation that I could put in book four. Mm. Um, I had my characters in my head. So it's so ongoing. Um, I don't think it's boring. I love that bit um, because it's all new and it's exciting to develop um, those characters to or to let them develop. Uh, people have different ways of doing it. Um, Ishiguru uh, calls it dirty writing. He does it for a month. Yes. He just flings everything down on on. I suppose, on his laptop. I don't know if he writes longhand. And then, uh, so he's got first draft in a month. um, And it's all over the place and it's mistakes and whatever, but it's all down. And so he can then go through and and make that beautiful prose um, that that he writes. So people have different ways. Yes. Well, well, that brings me to a question about your method, because you're, you're also writing in a genre where much of it has to tie up at the end and, and make logical sense. So I'm wondering how methodical and neat your writing process is, whether you go to the trouble of doing a treatment that lists every aspect of your plot and ties all those storylines together, or whether you just sit and write furiously and it all just comes together in the end. <laughs> yes, um, I don't think anybody would ever describe me as methodical. Um, <laughs> no, I don't do that. I don't do a detailed scenario, plot. I mean, there are some writers who will actually write something for every chapter before they begin writing. Yes. But I couldn't bear to write it twice, that first draft. And, yeah. um, you know, the first draft is where you make your mistakes, you reach your dead ends and think, oh, God, you know, I need to go back and he needs to be a she and, and uh, you know, the big changes. That's fine. Um, and that's how I do it. So I'm a plunger. I'm not a planner. Um, <laughs> I do, I think, I mean, I plan in my head um, because that's how I wrote as a journalist. You know, you would cover a story and you'd be writing the intro in your head when you were 
heading back to um, to your computer. So mm. I do that, but I don't do the whole, you know, and then this happens and then this happens. Because yes. um, I don't know sometimes. Mm. Does that does being a, a plunger rather than a planner in your words um, does it does it allow you a certain degree of spontaneity? Do you think that plotters don't necessarily have in their in their drafts? It, yes, it does. But uh, of course, there are risks associated <laughs> um, with spontaneity if you haven't thought through the whole thing. Uh, you know, there've been a couple of uh, drafts where um, I've got to a point and thought. Well, that can't happen uh, because I had set it up wrong. And, of course, if you're a planner, you would have known that. You would have seen (laughs) that earlier. So, um, yeah, they probably don't waste as much time as I do. But I just, I I get bored plotting Mm. a a novel, you know. I I sort of, you know, I drift away. So it's better if if I just, you know. John in. Yeah, I think I think there's a certain amount of flair, I suppose, that that results in in the kinds of of books that you write because of of this approach to some extent. I, I was interested in in Thailand in this book, the setting itself with its climate, uh, its people. It also it almost becomes a, a character in itself in the suspect, which is such an effective tool in creating that feeling of hopelessness and dislocation, which some of the parents feel when they arrive there. Well, that's absolutely, that's wonderful that you said that because that's absolutely why I chose it because I needed somewhere far enough away in a different time zone and I wanted it to be completely alien, um, you know, a very exotic location so that everything feels alien and also somewhere where anything can happen. And I think, you know, Bangkok absolutely is that place um, and that's why people go there. You know, that's its attraction uh, because it's a very free place on the surface. Um, And uh, so, yeah, that's because I was going to make it on one of the islands, one of the, you know, the islands around um, Thailand, uh, a paradise type place. But actually, it was better to be in a city because people can disappear in cities very easily. Um, You know, big, sprawling cities. So, yes. so I went there and it confirmed all, all of that. <laughs> I wasn't there long. I was there four days. Yes. But I've, tra- I've traveled and lived in um, South Asia and Southeast Asia. So um, I do, you know, I know the region well, but I didn't know Bangkok particularly well. Yes. Uh, but it, it was an eye opener. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fiona, just one last question really about... And I suppose it's going to be a difficult one to, to reflect on because it's it's perhaps difficult for writers to step outside of themselves and, and speak about their place in the literary canon. But um, just a question about how you feel you're taking this genre forward because it's a it's a genre which is very widely written in. There's a, there's a large variety of it from all over the world um, and and you are considered among the best in the world at this. And, and I just want to know, uh, simply because the genre is constantly evolving what you believe you are contributing to it that's different to what we've seen before gosh that's an incredible that i mean it's very sweet and very lovely of you to say that but i'm not sure um gosh i i don't know is the honest answer what am i contributing (laughs) oh gosh it's it's a pretty crowded genre and there's some fantastic uh authors um 
And, I'm, and what I'm really pleased about is that it's women authors who are taking it forward, who are opening up the genre. Um, they try to, you know, dismiss us as domestic noir, but, um, you know, to make it some sort of girly thing. Um, but of course it isn't. And it's, they're very hard hitting, a lot of the books. But I think what women have brought to it, so, you know, I count myself amongst them, about, amongst the women who are now writing, but I'm certainly not, you know, uh, <laughs> that's very nice of you to say, so sorry, I'm being very British about this. But, um, <laughs> what I'm saying is that women, I think, are taking the genre forward because they have stopped, um, they've stopped the idea that women in, in thrillers can only be the body in the ditch or the girlfriend, um, they have they have introduced these brilliant protagonists, female detectives, um, female investigators, yes. um, who are who bring another dimension to it. You know, women see things in a different way, and that's so interesting. Um, it certainly is for me, and it seems to be for thriller readers. Uh, I know the majority of thriller readers are women, but they've had to sort of contend with the fact that it's been male-dominated yes. for a very long time. Okay. So I think it's it's kind of, you know, it's made it flourish um, in a different way, and I'm really happy to be involved in that. Well, you do, way I can. <laughs> you, you do a wonderful job of it. And, and thank you so much, Fiona Barton, for sharing your ideas with us and your process with us. Um, it really has been wonderful speaking to you. And, and indeed, I, I would say that from a feminist point of view, I mean, the, the reading of these uh, these novels and, and the, the way that they have evolved in the hands of writers like you is certainly such a fascinating thing to watch. Thank you so much for your time. Fiona's novel, The Suspect, will be out shortly. It's distributed by Penguin Locally. Fiona, thank you so much for that. I love that. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I yeah. really enjoyed it, John. That was great. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Fiona. I'm sure your book's going to sell like hotcakes in these parts. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and visit South <laughs> Africa you. sometime. I'd love to interview you in person. Well, I, that's very kind of you. I, I, have, been to, I have been to South Africa, but have as a you? journalist. Um, oh, and as right. a trainer, actually, training journalists. Yeah. Oh, really? So, Where, um, were you I doing it with any it. particular broadcaster or, or a newspaper? No, it was what it was was uh, journalists uh, working in exile. Oh, so um, South Africa was a was a great hub um, yes. to bring people um, to uh, to do the training. So um, I worked with with journalists from. Um, uh, from Zambia and Zimbabwe and, uh, yes. and and then from Asia and we had Tibetan and all sorts. But we wow. came to Johannesburg twice yes. um, to do the training um, because it was a you know it was a great place for everybody to be able to get to yes. and to be free um, yes. you know to be free Fantastic. to free to train. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's lovely. Fiona, I do hope you come back to talk about your novels. If you ever do, I'd love to. Um, please let the Penguin team know. I, I would love to interview you. For more journeys with Joe and Joseph, subscribe to this podcast at livepodcasts.fm or on your favorite podcast app. Subscribing to a live podcast is free.